everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 106 of the show. And I just can't tell you how much I love saying 100 at the beginning of all of our episode numbers. I know, right? It makes me happy. Anyways, what do we one- get to say 200, <gasps> three. I will die. I will, how about 1,000? 1,006. Episode 1,006. That sounds weird. Do people yeah. get to that far? I don't know. Earth2.net did. Okay. So it's possible. That's the goal. That's the goal. All right. Um, we are starting a new month, October 1965, which is when some of our cover dates are going to start changing over to 1966. So the end of 1965 is nigh, which is weird. That sounded very Asgardian. Yes. Yes. Which is appropriate for where we're starting, mm-hmm. right? That's right. We are starting with a week of release, October 5th. Our chronologically earliest comic is going to be Journey into Mystery 123. Ooh, it's 123. Ooh, yay. 1, 2, Wow, we've read 123 of these. No, no. We have read 40. This will make 41. That's pretty good. It's a big yeah. chunk. I mean, yeah, yeah. Fantastic Four also, like 40, 45, right? We're going to do 40. Yeah. Uh, we just did 45 last episode. Yeah, that one you can actually count right so far. So far. All right. Um, weird cover with Thor trying to fight his way through a bunch of headshots. Um, <laughs> yeah. Including one really weird headshot that doesn't make any sense until you finish the story. Right. But this is called While a Universe Trembles. We swear by the Uru Hammer that these words have the ring of truth. Against his better judgment, Mighty Thor has promised to take the determined reporter Harris Hobbs to Asgard. Little dreaming that the absorbing man, spurred on by evil Loki, is now daring to battle Odin himself within the Golden Realm. I love the recap boxes. Mm-hmm, so that's handy. very handy. That's like they knew we were going to podcast about this. Right? What's a podcast, dear believer? And actually, sadly, it helps me with my memory these days, too. Right. Of. It's like, oh, yeah, that's what's happening. Okay. Imagine doing this 10 years from now, whenever it has literally been two months since we last talked about a Thor comic. <laughs> right? It's going to be like, what's going on in Thor? I can't remember. Fantasy to dazzle thy senses, written by Stan Lee. Drama to quicken thy pulse, illustrated by Jack Kirby. Beauty to nourish thine eyes, embellished by Vince Coletta. Balloons to compound thy confusion, lettered Aww. by Artie Simic. They should have said about popping the balloons. Thor is swinging the smallest hammer ever yeah i get i think it's like like his arm is like really big in the camera so the hammer is really far away and small uh, but yeah it does look really tiny it looks weird they did something wrong but anyway yeah also thor looks significantly larger than harris hobbs mm-hmm. it's really hard to, I'm, I'm not even an artist and i can tell that's really hard to do like perspective foreshortening and stuff yes um Anyways, but yeah, he is swinging the smallest Ur hammer ever in a swirly swirl to whisk himself and his mortal friend Harris Hobbs off to Asgard. We get there and Harris's jaw falls off of his face like the dad at the end of Beetlejuice. And um, as Thor's like, put your jaw back on. It's just my home. Let's walk on to the Rainbow Bridge. And they go to the legendary city and they go to the royal hallways and it's all empty. And then they run into a whole bunch of Odin's guards who are like totally ra- uh, like you know ravaged and beaten because of the fight with the Absorbing Man. So they tell him what's up and he's like, oh my gosh, for Odin and Asgard. And he runs off to fight and Harris is like, oh, I'm just going to follow and take pictures. 
Um, so Odin and the Absorbing Man are fighting, and Odin is using his scepter of supremacy to like swallow the energy bolts that Absorbing Man sends and to send it magic back at the Absorbing Man. Um, they're basically fighting for a lot of this issue while we cut away to look at other stuff. In this particular instance, we cut away to look at um, an Asian jungle where a person in a uh, weird witch doctor mask finds the Norn stone that Thor dropped way back in issue 120, which is only three issues ago, but it feels like a lot farther back. Um, anyways, he picks it up and it gives him power. He's able to fight against some uh, soldiers and beat them up because he's so powerful now. He can like catch all the bullets they shoot at him and throw them back. So he's like, oh my gosh, this little rock is going to give me all the powers to rule the world. Um, meanwhile, Odin and the Absorbing Man are still fighting. Um, Loki comes out and is like, I have given the commands to this mortal to finish the deed. Odin needs to be killed quickly. And Odin's like, so you finally come out and say bareface that you are evil and you are rebelling. And Loki's like, yeah, I mean, what have I got to lose? You're about to lose. I'm going to take the Supreme Scepter. I'm going to rule Asgard. And Absorbing Man is like, wait, 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 wait. I think I'm more powerful than you, which means I don't need you. I can be the ruler. And he tries to wrest the Supreme Scepter away from Loki. Thor is about to jump in, but Odin's like, no, no, no. You chill out there. Just wait. They're going to figure this out. Um, the Absorbing Man tries to absorb the substance of the Scepter. And Odin's like, my power is not in that Scepter. My power is in me. And I use my power now to banish both of you to space. So we see Loki and uh, the Absorbing Man hurtling through space. They are locked together with each other by because uh, th they're magically unable to release their grips on the scepter. So they're basically like handcuffed to each other through the scepter as they flow through space. And they're like frozen in the skies of space. Um, in all of the wreckage, Harris Hobbs comes out and Oda's like, wait a second. You let a mortal come into Asgard? Don't you remember what started this whole thing back in issue 115 or whatever it was? And Thor's like, he just he just wanted to he just wanted to see the, the my home. He wanted to take a picture. And Harris is like, oh no, my camera got smashed. I'll never be able to get pictures. And so Thor's like, oh well. He takes Harris Hobbs home. Meanwhile, the um Weird witch doctor dude is on the outskirts of Mongolia, continuing to conquer and ravage the peoples and make them serve him. He is calling himself the demon because of his uh, face mask. Thor whisks Harris Hobbs back to Earth, and Hobbs is like, that was really cool. Or was it? I'm not sure I remember. Wait, did we even go to Asgard? Or are you just putting me on? And that's the end of the story. Yeah, it was pretty fun. It was a rollicking romp of funness. I really liked that. Yeah, me too. Um, does beg the question, why does he need to uh, agree to take him to Asgard when he can instead use his godly powers to just make him forget what his secret identity is? And also it makes me wonder, did he make him forget what his secret identity is? Or does he still know it? Because we don't know. But, I don't know. It's a good question. And yeah. Harris Hobbs does come back like way down the road, mm. but I forget exactly the details around that. If he actually remembers anything about Thor or Don Blake or any of that. 
because he definitely doesn't remember Asgard. But right, it doesn't mean he does know who Thor is. He's not standing there going, "Who am I? Where was I born? What's my name?" He's just like, "Hey, where'd we just go?" Oh, we just went. actually he even remembers that they went to Asgard. He just can't remember Asgard. And one would think if he could make the guy forget, maybe he could make him have a fake memory, like make him think they went to Asgard and not actually go. But maybe that yeah. would like, violate his honor to like lie to him or whatever. This is like the second time he's done this. The first time he did it, he like Lois Lane Jane. But uh, uh-huh. I wonder if he does this ever again or if this is one of those powers that just kind of slowly gets forgotten because it's silliness and nobody can figure out how he does it. I yeah, it seems inconsistent. I mean, his you're right that his reason for doing all of this doesn't seem to be consistent. Why mm-hmm. take him whenever he's not going to remember anything? And also, since I'm just being negative about a story I just said I really liked, and I do like it, and we'll get to those parts, so let's just get the negative out of the way. I kind of feel like this whole business of taking him went nowhere anyway. So it was like almost like not only was the reveal of who Jane's captor was not exciting, which didn't surprise me, but... At the same time, it was like, oh, really? That guy? I thought it'd be something more interesting. My fantasy was like all over the place. You know, they got my hopes up. And then Mm -hmm. it's this guy. And then this guy blackmails his way into Asgard. And then he drops his camera. And then we never see him again. So like, really? All that for that? That was kind of, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, It does. I mean, in the moment, it does give Thor a reason to go back to Asgard right at the you know, time that uh, could have been anything, but it was this. Oh, that's true. It stalled him from like it. It let Absorbing Man tackle some people for a while first before mm-hmm. Thor shows up. Yeah, that's true. It delayed him. It delayed him, and it gave him a reason to go back. Like he was just hanging out at Earth. Well, he was going to go back because he saw Absorbing Man get shot by a ray that was an Asgardian ray he recognized, and he was oh, about to go back. Right. But then he saw Jane screaming out a window. So that's he went, right. He went to go save her. So, um, but yeah, other than that nitpick, which was just a big, long buildup that kind of went nowhere, I do think this fight was awesome. I'm really glad that Odin had no problem killing or, you know, beating the Absorbing Man. It made it look like he was going to have a problem, but it was all just a psych on his part. It was, I've mentioned this before, it was very Dragon Ball Z. Like, you think he's getting beaten. He acts like he's getting beaten, but then, oh no. He was actually okay the entire time. Yeah, which I'm fine with. I know that maybe dramatically that's not exciting, that no danger was ever actually apparent. But, like, we're talking about a guy who could snap his fingers and, you know, make Earth humans travel somewhere like Pocket or something. And I don't even know where he put them. But, like, he can't handle the Absorbing Man? Come on. Of course he can. That's well, just the Absorbing craziness. Man is powerful enough to give Thor a run for his money. So if Thor is the mightiest god of Asgard, except for maybe Odin, and the Absorbing yeah. Man is going to go after Odin, it just stands to reason, okay, this is going to be a tough fight. Yeah, except not against Odin. Come on. If Odin, mm-hmm. can't, beat, if Odin can't beat the Absorbing Man, there's something wrong with Odin, right? Um, I thought it was funny that the Norn Stone actually teleported and dropped into the demon guy's hand. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize they could do that. That they could just teleport of their own accord? Yeah, I didn't see this coming either. I mean, they they have, in a really cool fashion, I think, been reminding us that this Nornstone is laying around. Mm-hmm. But I really didn't know where they were going with it. And I kind of like this whole Lord of the Rings, you know, getting put in the wrong hands, evil, bad guy idea. It's kind of neat. So we'll see where it goes. And other than that dangling, you know, Norn thread of, of story... This arc that's been going on for who knows how many issues has basically wrapped up. Thor's mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. I mean, we may pick up the action from you know immediately after this next issue, but 
There's yeah. nothing dramatically that's leading us into the next issue except for the bad guy that's hanging in the background. I guess he's just probably going to fight the bad guy, and that'll be it. But it's still it, – it was a twist I didn't expect, I guess. A new and villain I did, I've never heard of. I did look up the demon. He's totally going to be a one-off. We'll just have to see how the one-off issue goes and then say mm-hmm. goodbye to him. Yep. He'll probably just get beaten and then collect the stone. And But it's it's cool that we're in an era now where they take three issues to build up to that too. Yeah. You know, we're getting these like – Actually, I don't know if other books are doing this besides Thor, but we're getting like these little side things that sort of linger, which is cool. Spider-Man's been doing that. Yeah, that's true. Spider-Man probably originated that, but mm-hmm. but now we got Thor. I don't think like, I don't know. I don't think our other books are doing it much, but. No, the ones that have continued plot lines are just basically like, this is the plot line and we're going to continue it. There's not a whole lot of like, while plot A is going on, you mm-hmm. know, plot B is cooking and it's going to come plot A later on. That's not mm-hmm. really happening much places. Yeah. And Loki is finally open and honest about his rebellion because mm-hmm. Odin has been annoyingly sympathetic toward Loki. Yeah. And I really hope he's not anymore. Well, gosh, like if this doesn't do it, I don't know what will. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just straight up comes out and says, I'm trying to take over your rule and I'm going to kill all these Asgardians unless you hand me the stick of whatever. Which, by the way, I thought you were just being sarcastic when you called it that, but it actually is what it's called. Scepter of Supremacy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, ego much okay especially since it's actually not his power so that's kind of funny it's just like this random this random candlestick that he started carrying around one day it's like neptune's trident does it really actually matter i don't know yeah i guess not not if you're not more uh more don blake and jane foster stuff going forward now that this arc is done you know they really don't seem to care about that anymore but right. I don't know if that's just because of the arc. And like you said, like I feel like time is um, is faking us out a little bit because we read these so slowly. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if – I mean it feels like it's been a long time since we've had a Jane and Don Blake arc. But it really probably hasn't been that long. I don't know. Like in universe time? In actual issue count. Like I don't know how many mm. episodes it takes us to get to the next Thor. But if I was just sitting here with a stack of Thors, would I still think that? Would that be my it's perception? Been- well, okay, so the Trial of the Gods was 116, which means he said goodbye to Jane in 115. Oh, boy. And that was super brief. Oh, wow. So it has so been a while. It has been a while. Their last actual moment together was like an issue or two before that. It's and been about they, a year. And they weren't even doing anything interesting then. So Mm-mm. I wouldn't actually mind if they move on, kind of. I don't know. Like the Don Blake thing does little for me. I'd rather he just be Thor, kind of. Right. But All right. Well, shall we look at the backup? Yeah. Okay, so the Tale of Asgard, Home of the Mighty Norse Gods, is entitled The Jaws of the Dragon. Even as Thor's mutinous crew of not-Argonauts heads into the (laughs) dreaded pillars of Utgard on the uncharted Sea of Fear, back in Asgard, Regal Odin atop the tallest peak in the universe sees a terrifying sight. An experience in matchless spectacle as only Stan Lee writer, Jack Kirby penciler, Vince Coletta inker, Artie Simic letterer could create it. All right. So the thing that he sees is um, a gigantic dark cloud writhing and seething with countless figures of shadowy warriors locked in endless titanic combat. Odin thinks this is the beginning of the end. Ragnarok is approaching and Thor is on his great journey. He wants to know if Thor has seen the Omen too, but Thor is actually really wrapped up with this whole storm thing. It's fun because the images of the ship that they're on, sometimes the ship is like 
80% underwater and we just see the masts. Not in all the panels, but in some of them. Um, Balder is blowing his horn because he's been doing that for a couple of issues now. They are uh, sailing toward this um, these pillars of Utgard, which are uh, legend says are the legs of a dragon sticking up. Well, the stone dragon wakes up and his head comes up. And I say stone dragon literally is like a rock formation that looks like a dragon's head with an open mouth and teeth and everything. And they're sailing right toward it. Thor is ready to start smashing, but Balder keeps blowing his horn and blowing his horn and blowing his horn and their rock smashes as they sail toward it and the ship is saved. Next, a new and awesome race will be met by the not Argonauts and you, Stan and Jack, have spoken. A new and awesome race. Boy, I don't know how far they have to travel, but I think it's taken them three issues to get nowhere. (laughs) They're like just out of the English Channel. (laughs) Turns out the Pillars of Utgard is the Straits of Gibraltar. (laughs) I mean, that doesn't make sense because they're up in Norway. Well, no, they're in Asgard. But like if they were sailing from Norway, they would not be coming out of the Mediterranean Sea. But that's okay. I like how uh, Odin is on the top of the highest peak in the universe to look at something. And he's wearing a hat that's covering his eyeballs. Well, the sun's really bright, dude. Oh, I also Also, think his hat is interesting. I don't know what that thing is. I love the two like curly ram horns, but uh-huh. he's got like some sort of like mirror it's on like his a, head. Is that a solar powered? Thing? Oh, maybe he's looking in the visor, and the visor's like a periscope thing that goes through the head piece. That that's what's looking at the thing. Because if you look directly at it, then you have a problem, like it's an eclipse or something. I love I that. I and made that's it. What I want it to be. Yeah, because that doesn't make any sense otherwise. I don't know. Okay, so speaking of Ragnarok. Um, mm-hmm. There's a TV show, Ragnarok, which uh, I have been watching. It's on Netflix. Uh-huh. It's pretty great. Uh, there was one season so far. They're making a second. It's like six or eight episodes. I think it's eight episodes. Um, these, t- it's it's made in Norway, so you can either watch it with English dubbed voices, uh, or no. you can watch it with English subtitles. Subtitle. Either way. The story is about this uh, small family. You got two brothers and a mom. Dad's gone. They go to this new town um, and have to enroll in school. One brother is, you know, younger, thinner, craftier. Another brother is older, huskier, and like has vision problems and is not super intelligent. Anyways, mm. over the course of the story, you realize that the older brother is getting Thor powers. Oh. And that the um, super populars of the school are the children of the mayor of the town, who is actually a um, uh, either is or is descended from a Jotunheim, you know, storm giant or frost oh, giant wow. or something. Okay. So you've got like on the on the surface level, it's a high school drama, not uh-huh. a me- not a melodrama, not a soapy Riverdale melodrama, but a high school drama. Um, but there's also like God powers and stuff and Ragnarok, the end of the world is coming, I guess. Hmm. It's been pretty great. Cool. Um, but that has nothing to do with the story other than, you know, end of the world's coming. I am kind of surprised that I have seen like another movie when I'm browsing for free movies. I've seen one called Thor. That's not Marvel at all. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, got like 12% on Rotten Tomatoes or something, but I'm surprised they don't <laughs> do that more. You know, especially now that Thor is all popular and stuff. Like, you could do a Thor anything you want because it's kind of just not copyrighted or trademarked because it's Thor. Mm-hmm. I don't see that really happening much. Did you read much Sandman? 
No, I haven't really delved into that yet. I'm a horrible comic fan. Thor shows up in Sandman, I a bet. DC version of Thor, mm. and it's it's pretty funny. I get the feeling in this opening scene that Odin sent these guys out and is now just kind of wishing he could call them back. Yeah, except what are they going to do? I mean, if they don't solve the problem of this cracked sword, then that's it, right? They can't fight Ragnarok off. Right, so he can't call them back. I think he just wishes he could because there's all the like bad stuff up there. He should have went with them. Would have made life easier. And I'm guessing Baldur's been blowing this horn for the last two issues. I think maybe he just like read or heard somewhere that blowing this horn was the key to surviving the passage of Utgard, but he didn't really know the details about why or how it was supposed to work. He just kept blowing that horn and hoping it would work. And, and it, it, finally, it finally pays off. Yeah. Yeah. It blows up the dragon head. They're, you're right, though. Their boat, their boat is underwater quite often, so it's got to be pretty jacked at this point, even if they mm-hmm. do survive this. But maybe they won't need it after this. I don't know. I don't know either. But yeah, um, those are my thoughts on the story. We can, If you have anything else, or we can go over to Gene. Let's do it. Gene Hendricks, as guardian advisor, podcaster, and worshiper of the Norse gods, writes in to help us with these tales of Asgard. And um, he says, I see ominous signs and portents ahead. Omens of the coming of Ragnarok. Yeah, no, not even close. There are several <laughs> things that need to happen in order for Ragnarok to come about. The first of which is the death of Baldur. The fact that Baldur's still alive and the Asgardians know this means that it is not happening. Mm. I, I think this is a crutch that Stan and Jack lean on way too much. Everything is going to bring about Ragnarok, which is the only way to get the gods to you know do anything. The horn that Baldur sounds is very close to Gjallarhorn, also known as the Ringing Horn. This is the horn of Heimdall, which can be heard all throughout the Nine Worlds. He will blow it when the giants are attacking during Ragnarok. Wait, Gene, how's it going to blow it when the giants are attacking? If Oh, it's Heimdall's horn. Heimdall, okay. okay. Heimdall's horn, he's going to blow it. Baldur's just blowing this horn that's kind of like it. Because uh-huh. the power of this horn seems to be close to that power level if it could destroy a stone dragon. Okay. So we got some connections there. Even if, even if the story is not really based in anything, there are some connections. Yeah, it hasn't really been based in anything for a long while at this point. Yeah, which I'm cool with just like finding little nuggets of Asgardian oh, yeah, lore in the for story. Sure. Like I said, I mean, kudos to Stan and Jack. I think they really do make it seem like it is based in something. Mm-hmm. So it always feels very Asgardian, but that's just because I'm ignorant and don't know anything about Asgard, I guess. But Right. I mean, this could... This could very well easily be like an adaptation of Homer's Odyssey or something. Mm-hmm. An adaptation of a story in the, in the Norse Eddas that we don't know. It's just not at all even close to that. <laughs> no. But that's okay. I mean, I don't know. Like, would it even work if they wanted to be as religious about it as possible and try and keep him in this whole superhero universe they've created? I mean, they kind of might as well just do what they want. Yeah. I don't know. If they're going to do these tales of Asgard and make everything like completely remote in time, mm. I mean, they could basically do whatever they wanted if... If Sander Jack read a, a book on Norse mythology and like found a cool story, they could yeah. adapt it. Well, that's what they did for a lot of the early myths too. They they adapted mm-hmm. them and just they just changed them up for we don't know what reason. Because they ran out of book, maybe. Maybe they only maybe. had volume one. Oh, uh, they don't know what happens later. <laughs> what happens after the earth is created by Thor? What happens after Loki gets caught in that tree? Yeah. Watch out for that tree. Boy, it's too bad Cap doesn't have his own book because they could they could be doing the tales of Captain America during World War II as a backup, and then you they could still have done that thing they wanted to do of like bringing him to the modern era. Oh, but they don't have enough room because he's already splitting a book with somebody. So oh well, right. 
And he's going to do that until it's fashionable to give everybody a full-size book. Yep. Um, Speaking of full-size books. Full-size books. How about X-Men number 15? We've read 15 of these suckers. The X-Men. This is part two of our awesome two-part, oh, more than two-part Sentinel story. I don't know how many parts, you guys. Just stay tuned. Could be 10, could be three. But this one's called The Prisoners of the Mysterious Master Mold. Let's hear it for these Marvel stalwarts who will be working overtime from now on to bring these adventures to you monthly. That's right. This is now a monthly book. Smiling Stanley, writer, Jolly Jack Kirby, designer, jovial Jay Gavin, penciler, darling Dick Ayers, inker, adorable Artie Simek, letterer. Our strange saga so far, searching for the unhuman sentinels who were built by Dr. Bolivar Trask for the purpose of finding and destroying mutants. The X-Men stumble onto the Sentinel's hidden fortress. And then, while the, fantastic, while the fanatical Dr. Trask is a prisoner, his own monstrous Sentinels, who have rebelled against his authority, the X-Men's deadly ordeal begins. So basically they're standing there and they're going, oh, here's the base. And then all of a sudden there's this crazy earthquake and they're falling over. That's how the last one ended. And this is how the first one begins. Um, and so immediately they all start using their powers to not only save Professor X from the earthquake, but save themselves and each other. Um, they're all very X-Men-y about that kind of stuff. Like they can't eat pancakes without shooting out of their visor for some reason. But anyway. Um, Neither can I. Yeah, that's true. If I had the ability to shoot rays out of my eyes, I would do that as much as possible. But, so then they come up with this plan. How do we get into this bunker? Because the bunker is full of guns and shooting and earthquakes. So they come up with this giant-sized, like, ice hockey puck that has these two poles basically coming out, and they have Beast and Iceman hold on, and then Cyclops, like, shoots it with his concussive beam, and it makes it go flying across the field, straight into the bunker, and they immediately get captured. These Dr. Octopus Carms come out and grab them. Uh, Warren tries to rescue them, but Flame comes out and singes his wings. Beast and Iceman get thrown into a little hamster cage, and they get gassed. Uh, We cut to the inside with Trask and all these Sentinels watching this. Trask is like, this is madness. You can't keep doing this. I didn't invent you guys to do this. And they bring him to... The Master Sentinel. Now, if you're a Doctor Who fan, think of it like a Master Cy- or Cyberman or a Master Dalek, where basically it looks just like a Cyberman or a Dalek, but twice as big with a crown, right? right. So that's what he is. He's a Sentinel he's sitting in a chair, really big, and he's got a crown. And Oliver is like, or Trask is like, no, stop. And the guy's like, listen, you gave me the ability to really be a pain in your side and take over the world. But the only thing you didn't show me how to do is how to create more Sentinels and I need more Sentinels. And Trask is like, well, I'm never going to show you. He's like, well, if you don't show me, I'll wipe out a lot of people. He's like, you can't do that because you're supposed to protect humans. He's like, oh, don't worry. I'll protect the 10 that are left. (laughs) So meanwhile, outside, the X-Men are still getting barraged by this bunker every time they try and get close to it. So Professor X is like, well, Sentinel brains, I can't really do much with that because they're not human. But, oh, let me do something with that. And he basically reaches out and knocks them all out somehow magically. So the ones that are operating the gun turrets just fall over. And then the other ones are like, oh, these dudes need repair. That's weird. Meanwhile, we cut to the master sentinel having Beast brought to him because he wants to put him in this little thingy that, like, analyzes his brain because he wants to understand more about how to properly kill mutants, I guess. Uh, 
the X-Men get in and when they arrive, it's kind of very Borg-like. I guess one this one Sentinel is just like, hey, you guys come with me. You're a prisoner. But he doesn't really fight them or anything, so they just agree to come. So they're just walking around. Uh, meanwhile, this probe thing is like interviewing the Beast, and so he talks about his past. So we get a little bit of that. He was like a kid, and he was kind of a nerd, and people were making fun of him, and they kept trying to beat him up, but of course – uh, his mutant powers manifested, and he managed to dodge punches and jump over cars that tried to kill him and stuff like that. Um, then at one point, he becomes a awesome football player, but he makes the mistake of go- getting a little too awesome, and he like, kicks his shoes off and like jumps up to celebrate a touchdown by grabbing onto the pole with his monkey feet. So that didn't go over well, and he made the papers, but that was actually a good thing because Professor X saw the papers came to their house. His parents were very supportive of him and were very excited that there was a school that would, uh, you know, do good by him. Um, Meanwhile, the other X-Men are still following this one Sentinel guard around until they come across Iceman, at which point they say, no, never mind, and they start fighting the Sentinel. They knock him out. They free Iceman. They look for the beast while they're doing that. Professor X still outside in his wheelchair uses his astro form or his protoplasm form or his telepathic form to float around and try and find the beast he realizes they're probing the beast's mind and they're just about to get to the part where the beast is going to tell him all about professor x and their secret school and stuff so he shuts that down telepathy telepathically i should say which annoys the uh master sentinel he tries to attack the master sentinel's brain even though he can't affect robotic brains and the sentinel doesn't like that and he has like a a microelectric blast that he can shoot that shoots that that fights off telepathy, and so that makes Professor X try and get back to his form. But he's hurt and he's struggling, and if he doesn't make his back to his body, he's going to die. Meanwhile, we cut back to the X Men. Now they're fighting all the Sentinels. Um, they try and create a uh, wall of ice, but they the Sentinels get through it. Um, and then I think they turn on this. Oh, they turn on like this gravity thing, so they're stuck to the floor. And that's how the issue ends with Trask still like, no, no, you can't take over. And now Trask is especially not interested in helping helping the Sentinels because another thing he learned about the Beast while he was helping them probe his mind was that the Beast and the X-Men are all about helping humanity. So now he feels bad that he even created mutant killer robots in the first place to be he continued. He should feel bad. He should feel bad. So that's how that ended. Have we talked about the artist in this, Jay Gavin? Uh, how he's really Werner Roth? I maybe I don't remember. Um, I couldn't remember if we like introduced him or whatever. He was a he was a Marvel stalwart throughout the fifties. Mm-hmm. He helped create Lorna Jungle Queen with oh. Don Rico. Okay, and he's going to be our X Men artist for basically the rest of the show. Um, he goes all the way up until Neil Adams takes over right at the end of the run. He also had a run on Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane in the early seventies mm-hmm. that went until he died in nineteen seventy three. Oh. I like it. I mean, he's not – it definitely looks different than Kirby, although Kirby is still doing layout stuff. So mm-hmm. there's a bit of Kirby in it. But I like it. I think he's got a cool style. I like him. Roy Thomas said that he fits better with human stuff and less with super heroic stuff. Mm. But I like it. Yeah. It's not Kirby, but, you know, it, it's it's kind of – I honestly, whenever I think of uh, the original run of the X-Men, I think of Gavin's artwork more than I think of Kirby's artwork. I mean, as much as I love Kirby and I do, I think it's kind of nice that we're in this era now where he's sort of tapering back a little bit and mm-hmm. only putting out stellar stuff instead of a lot of okay stuff. 
He's focusing on his three big runs. Yeah, and he's doing a much better job on him, I think. But I kind of dig the professor in the opening scene. He mm-hmm. is a wheelchair user, but he's insisting to the X-Men that he can take care of himself. He doesn't need them to get distracted with him. Yeah. And they should trust that and do what they need to do. I think he's wrong, but it is cool that he thinks that. I mean, if, if you look at page panel one of the second page, he's definitely in trouble. Like his wheelchair um, sideways and he's falling off a cliff and there's like trees and rocks all around him. So, you know, save the old guy. That's okay. I would think that he probably feels that even if he topples over, he can pull himself back to his chair. He's not helpless, you know? Yeah. But maybe, maybe you're right. He, he, he may be underestimating just how much danger he's actually in. He probably thinks he can telepathically, you know, talk to the mountain that's earthquaking and make it stop or something. But only if it has a robotic mind. I mean, a non-robotic <laughs> mind. Uh, uh, it's little things like that that drive me a little crazy. But um, We get another hint of progressiveness on page three. The Beast is trying to be chivalrous. Gene really doesn't need it. And uh, she's telling him to focus on himself. Right. I feel like they're like really playing up Gene lately, like the last couple issues. Now that she can fly and stuff. Mm-hmm. They seem to be like, oh, maybe she's got more to do with this book than just being the girlfriend for everybody. Right. Hopefully. She still hasn't really done much in fights yet, but maybe we'll get there. Now, isn't Master Bolt the thing that you put Nick Fury in to make those LMDs? Um, That sounds familiar. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Is that what this uh, is called? Oh, that's right. They're all trying to figure out what the secret the of the Master Bolt is. is. Yeah. yeah. It makes life model decoys. Just, you know, sit in it. It's like a... It's like a um, Plaster of Paris kind of thing. You like squeeze yourself into it. It takes up whatever. Mm. Um, Okay. So they've got this ice hockey puck is what you said. Uh I was thinking merry-go-round. Yes. Um, If I have my physics right, what Cyclops wants to do here is do like a small blast. starts out relatively weak and then grows Mm -hmm. to full strength. Mm -hmm. That way you don't like annihilate the sled at first go. Mm Mm-hmm. But I like how you called it a concussive blast because until artists and storytellers started getting confused, mm-hmm. it was always a force, not a heat. Right. Well, this wouldn't work if it was heat because he'd just melt the ice probably, right? Right, right. It's like a big punch. It is like a big punch, yes. I'm still not sure if it would work. It got a lot of height there for whatever, but mm-hmm. that's okay. It didn't work anyway because ultimately all that much to do about nothing because they just get captured and... By Dr. Octopus it. at the bottom of page five there? <laughs> right. So it's kind of funny they went through all that trouble and then just get captured anyway, but that's okay. Um, Bobby makes a crack about Beast joining the Avengers. I'm like, Bobby, you're 10 years too early. Yeah. We all know he really wants to be an Avenger. Right. Did you notice that the Sentinels had had a paint job since last issue? Oh, I did think they seemed different, but I didn't bother to look. Weren't they purple last issue? I think they were all purple last issue, and now they've got like their red yeah. and yellow and purple thing going on. So last issue, they looked like Sentinels, and now they kind of don't look as traditional. Mm-hmm. Sentinels are usually purple and purple, they not purple like, and red and yellow. Yeah. They look like Sentinels if the kid decided to color them wrong in the coloring right. book. He, he, it's a, it's a color big, coloring book, and he used the wrong colors. Like Kid, I used what to, are you doing? I used to have this. I had this Spider-Man coloring book, and I just loved coloring him green and orange. I don't know why. That's just what I did. Green and orange is Spider-Man. It's like this weird alternate international Spider-Man or something. So, like you said, we meet the Master Mold in this, and he is a giant Sentinel who sits in a chair and poops out regular Sentinels. He wishes he could. Yeah, I think he gains that ability. I think it's what he's going to do next issue. Okay. 
I think there's been like a door at the bottom of his toilet there that like the other Sentinels come out of. Oh, he's like, oh, they were there the whole time. I didn't even notice. That's what that <laughs> uncomfortable feeling was. <laughs> right. This too shall pass. <laughs> the Sentinels are like awfully like, I don't know. Chatty. I, I said they're like the Borg because they're kind of stupid in that way. Uh-huh. I don't know if the Borg are stupid. The Borg are kind of scary in their indifference. But this just seems like, you know, these Sentinels get mind blasted and fall over. And they're just like, oh, let's take them to the repair shop. And then the, inv- the X-Men invade and get in. And this one guy's like, oh, you should follow me to the Section 1 leader because I don't know what to do with you. And they just follow. And- yeah, I mean, okay. It's, it's page 12, I think, that humans, I was not programmed to expect additional ones. Yeah. Follow me as I report for new orders. You have a primary program. To kill mutants. Right. Or capture them or whatever your thing is. Yeah. Do something besides go get new orders when you see new ones. Yeah. Well, it's like, well, which is it? Are they intelligent or are they not? Like this guy, what was he, an archaeologist or something? Anthropologist? And he he bought some Tinker Toys and created an AI, basically. But uh, Yeah, that's not really anthropology, is it? No. So, And it seems like they're really smart, but then some of them aren't. So I don't know. We get our first X-Men origin story, which is yeah. kind of amusing. Yeah, it's a little oddly placed, but... Uh, it, it does feel weird, and part of... Part of the reason that Stan Lee decided to go with the whole mutant concept is because he was tired of origin stories. Yes. Now, that said, I remember thinking last issue when they all went home, or at least they all promised to go home and only like one went home. Mm-hmm. I was like, wouldn't it be neat to get some background information on them for then? You know, like what was, you know, if, Lauren, if Warren goes home and we had half an issue of him wandering around the house, meeting his parents again for the first time, he could have some thoughts about his life as a child or whatever. That would be cool. But it seems sort of shoehorned in here. Although I'm not against learning more about the beast. Right. I think basically what he meant is he could he couldn't figure out how to give people powers anymore. So now the answer is just they're born with him. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. It's just like he rather than coming up with a reason for them to have powers, he could just say, okay, maybe you're born with it. Maybe it's mutanty. Maybe and- it's maybe it's mutiny. Yeah, but we can still learn about them as people, like what mm-hmm. what that means. Like, did they have a rough upbringing, a good upbringing? Are they out? Are they in? Right. You know, things like that. And so your origin story becomes more the first manifestation of your powers, which, uh-huh. you know, tied in with the teenager awkwardness anyway. It has storytelling potential. Mm-hmm. And I think, unless I missed something, I think this background with the Beast and his parents is our first indicator that the mutations are coming from parental exposure to radiation. Oh, you know, I feel like we've read that before, but I really don't know where. Did I mean, Professor it's, X it's a, say that? Because he's like had an origin. Or- he's had an origin. Did his dad work in a, in a radioactive smelt factory or something? Oh, I do wonder. Now. Okay. I'd have to go back and check that Xavier origin to see what they did there. Because you're right, we have had an origin with him. Um, I don't remember, though. Um, but yeah, par- parents' gonads are getting hit with radiation, and it's messing up the gene sequences. But speaking of parents, and this is a trope that they haven't done yet, either because they haven't thought of it or they just don't want to do it with the beast. But usually when a mutant manifests and comes out, at least to his parents, they hate him or shun him mm-hmm. or are awkward. But beast parents are all like, he might be strange, but we think he's awesome. Yeah. So that's cool. As opposed to Warren's parents, who think he's awesome, but Warren also has not told them that he has wings. Because he's he must be under the impression that it won't go over well for some reason. Mm-hmm. And we don't know right. what that why he has that impression. But I'm a little surprised that the coaches didn't bar 
Henry from playing. Like, he's got all these really fantastic abilities to win, and he's just keeping on going. Well, I I mean, maybe at, up to a point, they just thought he was really good. And then it wasn't until this one instance that gets him in the paper and he has to flee the field, it says, refuses to answer questions. Like, at that point, he's, his football career is probably over, I would imagine. Um, Xavier sends his astral image out. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure this is the – because I've been paying attention to this. This is the first time they've actually used the term astral. Okay. They've had spirits – Doctor Strange has his ectoplasmic form, uh-huh. but astral image and astral plane is what I always associate with uh, these disembodied, you know, existences, and they haven't ever used that term until I think now. Now, I sort of, I mean, I like that that word is now existing, and I hope Doctor Strange starts using it because it's way better than ectoplasm, which just makes me think of Ghostbusters, but mm-hmm. I don't know that I like the idea of this, him referring to this as that, because that's like a different thing to me. Like, Doctor Strange, his soul, if you have a soul, because he's a magic mm-hmm. guy, leaves his body and goes around. Whereas I feel like this is just a illustrative representation of Xavier letting his mind wander. You know what I okay. mean? Like, like, is he actually letting a soul leave his body? He's a telepath. He's extending his mind and reaching out and looking for, you know, Namor in the ocean or Beast in this thing is he but then they do call it the astral plane when he has fights and stuff in it i guess i don't know yeah and he's i mean he's able to see stuff that he wouldn't be able to see just sitting there on the hillock and that's his, true um and astral projection is like one of those 60s mind over matter things like sending your mind out of your body mm-hmm. so whether it's done because he has mental powers or dr strange doing it because he has magical powers i feel yeah. like it could be a similar effect yeah i guess that's true this should just be a byproduct of his ability to master his brain Right. Or something. Whatever the yeah. insubstantial aspect of his mind is, he can send it out there. Yeah. And not only can Xavier influence machines, which I don't like, mm-hmm. but the machines can feel him doing it. In yeah. page 18, he's using his astral image to affect the Master Mole. The Master Mole's like, wait a second, something's touching my brain. I can feel it. Well, I don't know how Sentinels work, but in theory, at least based on that movie, Days of Future Past and the Future, where they're super awesome. Uh, in theory, they're supposed to be able to counter any mutant they come across, right? Mm-hmm. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. They look like just big purple lumbering robots right now. But Yeah, I don't, I don't know if they have adaptation powers at this point. but No, but if they do, or in some way, whatever, and if for some reason the guy who's built this robot assumes that telepathy can affect robotic brains, then maybe he puts something in there to let them detect attacks i don't know i'm just looking for a no prize here i have no (laughs) idea why it works because he does have a reply to the attack he says i am equipped with weapons for any type of attack and then he shoots microelectric blasts which i guess work on astral projections there's got to be some sort of subatomic physical substance to his mind being there so i can see maybe and it really must be some sort of spirit form because it actually is hurt and he's like crawling back to the body Mm -hmm. so it's not like he just instantly wakes up when he gets attacked, he has to actually physically lumber back over there, I guess. Right. Which is weird. I, I would think it would like, not that I've ever astral projected. <laughs> we should work on that. I would think you're like pushing your mind outward. Mm-hmm. And that if you were to stop, it would snap back into you. Yeah, you would think. But I don't know. I don't know. Um, the only other thing I have on this is I thought it was cute at the bottom of page 19. One of the sentinels is teaching the other sentinels how to fly. Use the propulsion power built into the soles of your feet and strike. Like, oh, like this? Because they're not all programmed with the same knowledge? 
Right? I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's weird. Oh, my God. Can we keep talking about X-Men? Because I just looked at what we have to talk about next, and I'm not excited. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> I, well, earlier when you said uh, unexciting reveal, I was like, oh, you mean like, um, oh, no, no, that was, uh, sorry, Strange Tales 140. Next uh, uh, next episode is when we're going to have a uh, reveal that you might not be excited about. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, Daredevil 11. Um, I mean, sometimes we read comics and they're okay. Sometimes they're awesome. And sometimes every time you turn a page, it's still not over. <laughs> and for some reason, this one was doing that for me. I don't know. It just was like, wow, it's going and going and going. Well, this one also has a blurb that's now on sale monthly. Um, so... Boys and girls at home, we have both Daredevil and the X-Men running side by side now. Mm-hmm. What's funny is that the X-Men started the same month as the Avengers, hmm. but it is now eight issues behind that one, and it's going to get more behind later on whenever it goes by monthly again. All right. Against Mike's better judgment, they said it couldn't be done. We almost didn't do it. Okay. last Odd. Odd. <laughs> A Time to Unmask is the title. Last-ish, we saw Foggy Nelson running for the office of district attorney on the new reform ticket. But Foggy doesn't suspect that one of the members of the reform party is really the evil organizer, kingpin of crime. Whoops. Right? Uh Uh-oh. Meanwhile, the fearless Daredevil learns that Debbie Harris, Foggy's college day's girlfriend, is actually in cahoots with the organizer's mob. But before he can make a move, the Birdman attacks... Complicated enough for you? Wally Wood wrote part one of this two-parter last dish just for a lark, but now it's up to sly old Stan to put all the pieces together and make it come out okay in the end. Can he do it? See for yourself. I wonder if this is because Wally Wood was losing his, like, ability to stay on job. I don't know. Another breathtaking bullpen bombshell brought to you by... That's alliteration, Stan. Smiling Stanley Ryder, bubbly Bobby Powell penciler, wonderful Wally Wood inker, swinging Sammy Rosen letterer. Okay, maybe maybe because Wally or Wally Wood um, wrote that last issue, which took six hundred words to recap in this first page. Mm-hmm. And so then he's just like, "Wow, I've written myself in the corner here. I don't know how to get out of this." <laughs> Stan, Stan, help me. Okay, so Birdman attacks Daredevil. Daredevil falls off the side of the building, swings his way into a window, and is safe. Um, He goes to rescue Debbie Harris and plays along with the idea that she is not a bad guy. She also pretends to not be a bad guy, but then he follows her to where she goes and uses the the, um, bullet microphone. What do you call those microphones? The really pointy ones that have a very narrow focus. Anyways, his microphone and his stick he uses to spy on... Her phone call, um, Deborah goes back to see Foggy, and he's like, oh, I'm so glad that you're here. She's like, I know I'm important to you. Um, I, I, I'm you know, so happy we're together again. Um, the henchman for the organizer, uh, which one? The Catman. The Catman got arrested, and the organizer's other guys had tried to kill the Catman. So he is totally chill with telling the police who the organizer is, but we don't get to find out from that conversation. We go back to Matt returning to his office and seeing foggy and foggy is still like, you're so jealous that I'm going to be the district attorney. I have a chance to be cool. I'm not just in your shadow anymore. Blah, 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 blah. Um, 
So Foggy goes to have a meeting with the Reform Party's three top candidates, Bernard Harris, candidate for the borough president, Abner Jonas, candidate for mayor, Milton Monroe, candidate for assemblyman. And um, let's see. There's something that Matt does to sort of trick this meeting. I can't remember exactly what it is. Oh, um, they found evidence of the organizer's identity. Foggy and Matt, even though Foggy is not liking this idea, Matt's like, let's just test something. Foggy tells these three reform people that they have evidence of the organizer's identity and they say where they're going to keep it so that Matt can then spy on whoever tries to raid the safe to get the information. So while um, they're out hanging out, Matt finds out somebody's raided the safe. He absconds and turns into Daredevil and follows the um, the trail, gets a phone call. Deborah talks to the organizer on a uh, phone, a Skype call, and realizes the organizer is going too far in his quest for mad power. Um, you're right, this is kind of convoluted. Yeah. Daredevil fights the frogman that dresses up as the frogman to sneak into the organizer's hideout. As the frogman, he fights the other furries. And then at some sort of campaign office, <sighs> uh-huh. um, Abner Jonas is there while the organizer is talking on the TV screen. And they're like, no, Abner Jonas, you're the organizer or something like that. Daredevil shows up, fights the furries, knocks out Abner Jonas, says, yeah, I totally know that he was the organizer. Like, how did you know? What evidence do you have? He's like, I had lots of evidence, but mainly the fact that he was wearing this one ring on his hand that the organizers were the whole time in all those videos. That's the only thing I want to talk about. He's, they had the same ring on. Oh, okay. And yeah, so Foggy realizes that he really was messed up. Karen gives him a kiss on the cheek to make him feel better. Um, and then they're like, okay, well, huh. I guess it's back to work. We've got all these bills, no clients. How are we going to make things work? And Matt's like, you know, you don't really need me. So uh, I'm just going to go. And like, wait a second, what? He's like, yeah, you'll figure it out. I'm going to uh, I'm gonna go. And he goes. First Cap quits the Avengers, and then N- Murdoch quits Nelson and Murdoch? It's not Nelson and Murdoch without the Ann Murdoch. Yeah. yeah. He basically says, like, I don't know if he's doing it out of spite. I think he's just like, they can't function with my payroll also, so he's just going to leave so they can downsize. I mean, I can kind of see the logic on that, but it's a really weird move to bail on your friends when they're in trouble. I also think he's leaving because he walked in on them, like, kissing cheeks and stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, But I don't know. I don't know if it says that, though. I think he just talks about the financial problem or in his, you know, thought bubbles. This is Wally Wood's last credit for Marvel. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. He goes off. He does Thunder Agents for Tower. And some other stuff. He eventually starts working for DC in the uh, late 60s going into the 70s. He comes back to Marvel a little bit in 1970. He inks some Captain Americas and some other stuff. But as far as like really getting into a run for Marvel, this was this is his last credit for a while. That's surprising because I thought he was on Daredevil for a thing. For a th- yeah, he has a really big impact because like, yeah. he redoes the costume in issue 7. Yeah. Sort of changes. He he does establish the visuals for the character. I'm kind of surprised. Yeah, once because once he got on board, like Daredevil really started feeling more like Daredevil. So it's kind of surprising he didn't last that long. I thought he'd be have a big run. Yeah. Oh well. Um. 
I, I can I can relate to Foggy. I don't know about you, Mike, but when I was younger, finding out that a girl liked me, mm. that went a long way to me liking her, too. I have a feeling most people who read comics, most boys who read comics in the 1965s, probably felt the same way. I mean, that's just stereotyping that nerds, but yeah, that's the clientele, right? I guess it's, it's part of like Foggy's whole insecurity, which is definitely what I had as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, he gets insecure with Debbie. He gets insecure with his job. He lashes out at Matt because of it. He's just, he's not a very confident guy. No. And currently he's being drawn fairly handsome. I think in the future he's more portly and, and uh, you know, not necessarily the ladies man looking kind of character. But Well, the weird thing is, is that he's not drawn super overweight. He's just a little bit rounder than most men are mm-hmm. drawn. Mm-hmm. But there, people are already like calling him fat like very soon after this. <laughs> right. Well, when you're standing next to superheroes, the standard is pretty high, I guess. I guess. Okay. On page nine, there's a shot of the organizer where he has his hand up like he wants it to be kissed. Mm-hmm. And that's when I noticed his big red ring. Yeah. He's been very conspicuously wearing his ring almost every time he's on screen. So knowing who the person really was, I went back and checked to see if our culprit was ever wearing a ring. Now, before the point in this issue, Jonas is uh, in, in this issue, before page nine, when I noticed the ring, we didn't get to see Jonas's hands. And mm. ch- issue 10, there were two panels where you could vaguely tell there's a ring on his fingers, like oh. so super tiny in the panel. Okay. So they definitely were not telegraphing the ring. Yeah. Which, you know, they could have, because who would have noticed that anyway? But um, this is my the, my favorite bit of this story, if I have to find a favorite bit, is for some reason Daredevil dressing up as Frogman and beating up the other furries was kind of fun. <laughs> That's their name now, forever and ever, they are the furries. <laughs> the furries. <laughs> okay, I have a question. Okay. How can S.H.I.E.L.D. be a super secret organization if Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a TV show? <laughs> that is a good question, and it is does make you wonder like how much of the public the public knows about something like shield because it seems like they're really in your face mm-hmm. but but are they really in the public's face or do we just see them because we follow superheroes around in stories i don't know i don't know either i mean it's probably just a nod to the show man from uncle because that's obviously the inspiration for the name of the series uh-huh. agent of shield man from uncle with the whole acronym thing and all that yeah but um but it's weird because there are Man from Uncle references in this series, in the these comics too. So, like in the Marvel universe, there are two TV shows. There is Agent of Shield, and there is Man from Uncle. Yeah, yeah. I guess I don't think Shield. I don't know. I think people just commonly know what Shield is, like they know what the CIA is. But maybe that doesn't mean they know what's going on. Oh, that's true. You and I know what the CIA is, but we have zero clue what is happening in the CIA other than movies right. and TV shows. I know what MI six is too, but I have no mm-hmm. idea what they're doing. But. Uh, Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll buy that. The word shield exists in a public lexicon, but where they are, what they're doing, what, all that stuff is all secret. Yeah, Okay. I would hope so anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole recording at the uh, meeting, because uh-huh. that's, that's their explanation, is that the, the organizer on the TV, while Abner Jones is standing right there, is that it's a recording. That works for this scene. It doesn't work for that bit at the end of last issue that I mentioned last time. <laughs> No. Remember how they're at a party? Yeah. And Abner Jonas is there at the party while the organizer is on comms with the furries. 
So nope. it doesn't work. Nope. See, once again, they're like psyching you out, though. So they're cheating with their trickery. But anyway, do you have any other thoughts? So what was it that really bothered you about this? I don't I don't know if I felt like bothered, like, oh, this plot's horrible or anything like that. It wasn't annoying me that way. It just felt like it was going on forever. Maybe just too much stuff. Like they could have spread this story out to three issues or something, give us some breathing room. I don't know. Lots of tiny panels, lots of pages, lots of things going on. I mean, even as you're summarizing it, it's like, gosh, really? And then this and then this and then this? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But also, as I've already complained multiple times, I don't care who the organizer really is. They haven't really like made that something that matters to me. Right. That's something they could build up over ten issues, not two. Uh, I also now know the who the the Hydra leader really is, but can I tell you? No, because I don't care. So we'll find out. <laughs> we'll next find episode. out next episode. But I already know. I'm supposed to know. Do I know? No. I know his last name. Yeah, see, well, that's just because you can remember names, but does it matter? No. No. I don't I know. Look it's at, all right. It's cool. I'm looking to see if Abner Jonas even comes back. Um, I'm on the Chronology Project website. Organizer Abner Jonas, no, he doesn't. <laughs> it for him. Shocker. This just doesn't, like, I don't know. Where, what have we been, I'm trying to think of past, I guess we've had the owl. Like, I don't know, Annie Men and Daredevil, or Daredevil going to some castle. That was another thing he did. Like, those just don't scream Daredevil stories to me, I guess. Mm-hmm. So we need to find a direction for Daredevil. He's very Hulk-like right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm looking to see if there's even another person called the organizer, if there's any legacy to this. There is not. Oh, okay, the legacy to this is that the um, the Animen stick around. Oh, yes, they definitely stick around. I've heard of them before. yeah. And I like them. I liked them last issue. I actually feel like maybe this story should have just focused on them more. Right. And they're cool, like fun, kooky antics. Yeah. Cause like I was, you know, when I was trying to make a banner for one of these episodes that involved them, it was like, I couldn't find any great pictures of them hardly. Cause they're not Mm. really used, you know, like that was almost cooler than the organizer. Forget the organizer. Let's have these guys form a group and just do weird, cool stuff. They'll go work for somebody who's like the organizer, but like slightly less dumb. And who, that is uh, Count Nefaria. Oh, I was just thinking who would be a good choice. I'm not sure that's the answer. But <laughs> but it kind of makes sense that he's the sort of guy they would work for. Yeah, I guess so. How about like, uh, no, I was going to say Mastermind or something. Or, you know, um, what's the Master circus Planet? guy? What's the circus guy? Uh, the Ringmaster. Ma- Ringmaster or something, but I don't know why. You have too many masters in this. Speaking of directionless Hulk, let's do that one next. <laughs> Were we? (laughs) (laughs) We were, because Daredevil's reminding me of Hulk. Like, they're just not sure what to do with him, kind of. Uh, Tales to Astonish 75, Not All My Power Can Save Me, and The End of the Quest. Oh, actually, The End of the Quest is first. So, that is... Wow, they didn't give us a caption on this one. But anyway, it's story by Smiling Stanley, penciling by Admirable Adam Austin, a.k.a. Gene Colan, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, delineation by Val- Valorous Vince Coletta and lettering by, I have no idea what that word is, Sam Rosen. Sag- sagacious. Sagacious? Okay. Yeah, as of a sage. Okay. Anyway, if we recall, uh, Namer like, abandoned his quest after three feats, basically, to go rescue the Lady Dorma from the Faceless Ones. She is unconscious and in his arms... And they are still coming because they're not hard to beat up, but apparently there's just an infinity amount of them. So they're like zombies in that sense. 
You just can't get rid of him. Um, and as he's thinking that very thing, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Neptune shows up. Like he rises up out of the water and the trident falls on the ground. And it says, see, that, uh, you know, that quest you were on? That was just a test. The real test was, would you go rescue a woman you loved instead of doing the quest? And you did. So you passed the test. Here's the trident. And he's like, oh, that was nice. And while all that's happening, um, that old guy that keeps appearing out of nowhere, his, and that has tracked him as of last issue, is there and witnesses that whole thing. And he's like, my prince, you're officially my prince again. Um, by the way, they're all raising up against, uh, what's his name? Krang? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're all raising up against Krang. And Krang is like holed up in his tower and, you know, hurting everybody. So you might want to get back there. So he's like, oh, well, I'm going to get back there. So meanwhile, we cut to, uh, oh, no, he just gets back there. And when he's there, Krang has um, soldiers at the ready, and they shoot. And it doesn't really work because it's Submariner, and he beats them up. And then that crazy robot that's being driven, or the tank that's being driven by a robot attacks or shoots Namer. And he, like, goes, oh, that hurt. But it's still, he's Namer, and it's just a stupid tank. So he picks it up, and Action Comic number one's it. Um, And then he... Puts Dorma in a, I'm going to assume this is some sort of like medical thing and not like an oven because it looks like an oven, but it's just a medical <laughs> thing. Um, and he goes to confront Krang. Krang's going to pull a lever. I can't remember what it's going to do. Um, the lever is going to. The world is mine if he pulls the lever, but I don't know how or why. I can't remember. But uh, boy. If the revitalizer ray should be short-circuited while both are under it. Oh, because he's he's revitalizing her. So he's going to pull this lever that will kill them, basically. And then then the world will be his figuratively or metaphorically because he'll be the sole ruler and he's going to take on the earth and blah, or take on, you know, America or whatever. The surface dwellers. But just in time, that old man who has the trident, because Namer left it behind for some reason, tosses it to Namer. Namer in turn does an awesome throw and it like, hits Krang's hand because that's what Tridents do and then he says now Krang turn and face your fate and so next issue they are going to fisticuff yes yeah boy not a lot really happened with this one as I was looking over but it did seem to pad out more than necessarily was going on also I felt like Namor was never going to set Dorma down (laughs) Like, he's carrying her through all of this dangerous stuff at the beginning. I'm like, set the woman down. Take yeah. care of the business. I wonder if he was, like, going to try and just flee because he can't stop all those numbers. I don't know. But, yeah, that was weird that he had hold of her. So, do we, like, I mean, I don't know. Is it just kind of a letdown that, like, just, or is it cool that, like, Neptune just shows up out of nowhere and says, you made all the right decisions. Here's that thing you wanted. So, mm. I feel like... If Dorma had not been in trouble, Namor would have finished the quest and gotten the trident. Okay. But this is like a situation where you couldn't finish your homework because your mom was in the hospital and your teacher gives you a good grade on it anyway. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you had to go take care of your mom being in the hospital. So, um, yeah, I feel like it wasn't always intended to be. You had it within you all the time. But... uh that's what it ended up being. I just feel like it's kind of a quick wrap up or something. It's weird, but well, I I, I, am, I am in favor of them wrapping this arc. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point, but that also means those other three tasks that he went through were sort of meaningless in a way. But 
also, I didn't expect to actually see Neptune. Like, I figured he'd just go through all these hurdles and get a trident, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that means we have another mytho. Oh, no. Yeah, we have another mythology. Now we have Roman, right? Uh, but Neptune was actually a king of Atlantis, according to this story. So he's a ghost, a force ghost? What is he? I don't know. Well, we've seen him before on the quest. He showed up earlier in the quest. Did he? Yeah. After he did the first step, Neptune showed up and said, okay, you go on to the next thing. I made the, I made the comparison to Ready Player One. When I thought the, it was uh, a game. fish that said that. I just assumed mm. it was a pre-recorded message. At some point, we saw oh. uh, Neptune. Okay. I'll believe you. I don't know. But yeah, he does say he's a, a, a king of old Atlantis. I mean, that's the whole story that started this whole thing. Yeah, but there so is, is that, like is a, a there is a Roman god like named Neptune. Like a Roman, yeah. Or something, right? Neptune or Poseidon are two different languages, I think, for the same person. Yes. But Neptune is notorious for the trident. I don't think Poseidon so much. But I don't know. So this could be that Neptune, but I guess it's not because it was just a dude who used to be a king. So it's a force mm-hmm. ghost. Force ghost. Yeah. Also, Neptune and this old man look very similar. So part of me was like, which one's Neptune? Which one's the guy? <laughs> now, the old man is um, is Vashti. He has been ever so faithful to Namor this entire time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the faceless ones. Okay, here, here's the thing, though. The f- Going back to your point, the faceless ones were the threat to Dorma. And Krang put Dorma back to be menaced by the faceless ones. But the faceless ones were evidently just a part of Neptune's whole shtick. So mm. maybe you're right. Maybe this was just a, you know, character test from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Also, don't that, know. that trident isn't a great trident, but that's, a, that's no. just a nitpick. It looks weird. There's, um, there's the bit where Namor flies away and Vashti says, The eyes of Neptune be upon thee all the live long days. <laughs> I don't know if you're aware but we have a song in Texas, The Eyes of Texas, oh, yeah. upon you. Oh, yeah. Um, also, I've Been Working on the Railroad is the same. Uh, yeah, thing. and turns out I, the um, Railroad's the original song, but The Eyes of Texas was done to the same tune like 10 years after the Railroad song was published. So mm. They're both really old. Yeah, that happens. Um, the last thing is that Namor says he's going to give the breath of life back to Dorma. Mm-hmm. I thought breath of life was a really weird idiom for a, an aquatic <laughs> species. I mean, let's face it. They just draw this like they're on the surface, but the background is blue. Yes. They don't, like they don't try and make water at all. No, they're just, they're, they run around. They stand. I mean, when he flies, they put bubbles behind him, but, mm-hmm. but it still just looks like flying basically. Right. Yeah. I mean, why would a tank with wheels even be a cool thing to have underwater? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But I do feel like the story is building after the, the doldrums of the quest. Yes. I kind of like this chapter built mm-hmm. us toward a climax. Yeah, this was definitely probably the most exciting of the stories we've read. And I look forward to Krang being trounced, hopefully. Before he goes and becomes a bad guy for the Ninja Turtles. But if my Doctor Strange has taught me anything, that maybe next issue he won't be trounced at all. And there'll be 10 more parts to this for all I know. <laughs> I, I actually regret saying how many parts we had left in that story. Okay. I think that this issue is a contender for the best Hulk cover so far. Best Hulk cover? Yeah. It is a pretty good cover. And they're Just still the doing the split. Unlike Tales of Suspense. Right. They have Namor at the bottom there. But yeah. I really like the cover. Since we're going to the Hulk. Okay, let's go to the Hulk. Uh, oh, I mentioned it. 
The Hulk story is called, if I can get to it, there we go, The Incredible Hulk, Not All My Power Can Save Me. Oh, I already said that earlier. With a team like this, you know you're in for another Marvel classic. Story, Stan Lee. Layouts, Jay Kirby. Illustrations, M. DeMeo. Letterer, S. Rosen. Enjoying. That's your job, pussycat. Uh, I'll see if this is a... No, I was going to say there's a caption, but it really has nothing to do with summarizing, so whatever. When last we saw the Hulk, he had achieved what he was trying to do, which was steal or take a giant orb of knowledge, basically, from the Watcher and deliver it to the leader because he felt like he owed the leader for saving his life from that bullet that was stuck in his brain. Leader puts on the orb... And he is everything, and he knows everything, but then he falls over and dies. So, hey, no more obligation, right? Now the Hulk can do whatever he wants. He kind of talks about how he has Bruce Banner's brain, but then he keeps saying the word ain't a lot, so he kind of doesn't have Bruce Banner's brain. And even he himself admits that he feels like the longer he's the Hulk, the more he thinks like the Hulk, and maybe he isn't Bruce Banner so much, but he's not quite sure. But he sure is bravado and all about how awesome he is. Um... So what does he do? He leaps away from the leader's hideout. Meanwhile, we cut to the last invention Bruce Banner ever made off camera because we don't ever see Bruce Banner. Um, It's called the T-Gun. It's a super huge honking gun. Not a gun you hold in your hand like a big giant cannon with like that 12 people can sit on. Um, They don't know what it does because I guess Banner left before they could tell him. So they're instructed to like, you know, shoot it just to see what happens. Just to see what happens. <laughs> Which, you know, may not be great because what it does is destroy all reality as you know it or something. But anyway, while they do that, Betty shows up and she does the whole like, maybe you should wait for Bruce. And why do you guys keep talking about Bruce like he's a traitor? And Glenn and and her dad are like, because uh, he is a traitor. And she's like, you don't know that. And Glenn's like, why don't you marry me? And she's like, why don't you shut up? Um Also, we're reminded that Rick Jones is still in prison because he might know something about the connection between Bruce Banner and the Hulk. At some point, he goes, hey, remember the last time I got out of this by just talking to the president? Can I call the president? And the soldiers are like, no. So there goes that idea. Hulk, meanwhile, has jumped to a ridge, and he's decided, you know, I know the leader didn't survive this weird thing getting put on his head, but I'm the Hulk. Nothing can stop the Hulk. Hulk is the strongest one there is. So he puts it on, and it hurts a lot. Think like Avengers Endgame. He screams. He cries. He falls over. Um, He gets... All the knowledge in the universe jammed into his head for five seconds, but he forgets everything immediately once he rips it off, except for an image of Rick Jones asking the soldiers if he can call the White House. So he's like, Rick Jones? I remember Rick Jones. He used to be one of my supporting cast members. I should help him. I'm going to go help him. I'm going to go to the White House because apparently that's where he is because that's all I can remember is the words Rick Jones and White House. So he goes flying off to the White House. We cut to the watcher who goes, I let him remember that, but I'm not interfering. Um, We cut back to the Hulk. The Hulk, like, is on his way to the White House. He encounters the army, but they don't stop him. Everybody starts to think that the Hulk is trying to attack the White House. So guess what? I know what we could test the T-gun on. So they shoot him. I don't know how that works because I thought they were in... We'll talk about that later. I don't get this whole location business. (laughs) But they shoot him. And guess what T stands for? Time travel. Because suddenly he wakes up and it's like this weird dystopia. Not utopia, but like the opposite kind. Where everything's destroyed and crumbled. And he sees like that it's obviously Earth because 
Um, the Abe Lincoln statue is still kind of intact in there. And he's like, you monsters, it was us the whole time. And No. And then uh, all of a sudden this thing attacks him. It's got like spidery spindly things and it wraps around him, but he easily breaks free. But he's now surrounded by these mutant looking guys, not X-Men, but like, you know, more classical sci-fi mutant looking dudes. And they're all like, it's true. The Hulk, he really did or does exist. Let's get him to be continued. Yeah. The tea gun. I felt like there was a part in the early part of the story where they're like presenting lots of different T words. <laughs> it's tremendous. Titanium. It, we had Thunderbolt. We had Traitor. We had Booby Trap. <laughs> I said trap. Trap. And, you know. Well, I didn't expect time travel. I'll have to admit. They got me there. Yeah, they did. And there's going to be a surprise, <laughs> surprise appearance of a known character in the far distant future. Oh, is it Kang? No. Oh. Is it Although that, Immortus? Nope. Is it the Pharaoh guy? <laughs> it is not an incarnation of Kang. <laughs> Darn it. Unless his life story is a lot more convoluted than I knew. <laughs> is it Doctor Doom? <laughs> I'm trying to think of time travel that we know. Anyway. Um, so we pick up from last time. We basically have a clean slate plot-wise. I mean, the subplots are still there. The characters are still doing their thing. But... They could take the story any direction, and this is where they go. Yeah, they went a direction, all right. I'm happy the leader's dead still. I'm cool with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't have a lot to say. I mean, (sighs) I don't know. It's kind of cool. It's a setup, I guess. So we'll see what happens or where they actually go with it. It could be interesting, but I also like Hulk time travel. Okay, interesting, weird. I don't know. We'll see. It puts him in a place where he can bust stuff up in a new way. I mean, in a way, that is a Hulk staple of him like being transported to different places or worlds or that does seem to happen to him a lot actually now that you think about yeah, it yeah yeah so that's not that out of hulk character i guess this is this is actually the prototype of a pretty common hulk trope yeah send him somewhere else basically right i agree with you on the whole bruce banner's brain thing it feels like it's dwindled to like in name only uh-huh i think he's fooling himself if he thinks he's still bruce banner i also think he doesn't but i don't know yeah thunderbolt ross uh-huh he says hey Talbot, Betty, get over here. I want to talk to y'all privately. And Betty says something. He's like, quiet, girl. This is no concern of yours. And I was like, dude, you literally just asked to be part of the conversation. <laughs> I'm amazed we got Betty. And this scene does have her defending and still liking Bruce, where lately she's been kind of muddled about that. And she tells Talbot, you keep out of this. Yeah. Like, yeah. Betty has a, Betty, Betty does something. You never trusted Bruce, even though he devoted his life to national defense. You hounded him. You never tried to understand. So it's like, wow, all right. Because the last couple times we've seen her, it's like, maybe I like Glenn better after all. You never trusted Bruce, and you never will. Mm -hmm. You can never forgive him for the death of your son. (laughs) Right. Uh, um, Last time we saw Rick Jones was issue 72. Oh, boy. So it's three issues back. I admit I kind of forgot he was here. Remember he and the Hulk went to the Hulk's cave mm-hmm. when they were on the run from the army mm-hmm. and they hid there and Hulk was like, you know, don't shoot at Rick. And Hulk mm. basically jumped out to like distract the fire from Rick. Yeah. Rick walks out, but he won't answer their questions. Right. So they take him into custody in that scene uh-huh. for suspicion of being in league with the Hulk. Right. So the last time we saw him did set this up, but I'd completely forgotten until I went and looked it up. Well, because the Hulk got teleported away by the leader, and then we've just been doing Hulk leader for Mm -hmm. issues, basically. Um, 
I have not been keeping track of, even though I think when we first started this podcast, I thought it'd be pretty neat to keep track of scientists and what they can do, their fields. Okay. And I haven't. And I'm sure Hank Pym has already had like 28 things now at this point. But but Bruce Banner inventing time travel for himself seems odd. Yes. Well, Dr. Doom did it first. Dr. Doom did it first. Reed Richards, as far as I know, has not done it. He just bogarted Dr. Doom's. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. It's like, wow, this dude is a... I mean, at some point, he becomes a gamma radiation specialist slash physical physician, biologist specialist kind of guy because he's all about his body and it not changing. But at some but point, he, he was about bombs. Gun. And he invents the TARDIS gun, which also stands for T. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, which rhymes with P, which stands for pool. Why is this a thing he invented? Anyway, what was the plan exactly? I don't even know. It's uh, a really either. weird off the wall thing. We're, we're overthinking it, I know, but I, it just got me thinking, like, what would, what would, how would this benefit the army and why on earth would he give it to them, even if it did, because he hates them at this point, right? Is it a side pro- You know what I'm just randomly thinking of? Uh-huh. In Avengers, they go to Bruce about time travel. They do, but he didn't know anything about it. He knew some things well, about it. He just wasn't as skilled in it as Tony. He knew some things in the sense that he knows some things about everything, probably, and was better than they were, but... Yeah, that's interesting. Wow. Maybe Iron Man's going to help Hulk get back. Okay, so Hulk puts the plastic bag over his head. Uh-huh. The uh, the globe of knowledge that he just saw kill the leader. Right. He's, he's like, I'm the Hulk. It can't hurt me. Yeah. And even if it did, the worst I could do is kill me. <laughs> and I hate myself anyway. So um, this reminds me of a story. Okay. You know how when you're small... Uh-huh. Or when you have a small, uh, the message is don't put plastic bags over your head. Right. Right. So playing space helmet is not safe, children. Mm-hmm. So you know how when you're an adult and, you know, there are things that you always heard that you find out were maybe not quite as true or things that you're like, well, I just, you know, see what happens if I do that thing I was told never to do because I'm an adult now. Uh-huh. Right? <laughs> so, um... One day after going to the grocery store, <laughs> we brought home the groceries. We had the plastic bags. And I'm like, okay, I'm a 23, 24-year-old man. If if I put this over my head and something bad happens, it's not like I can't take it off my face again. <laughs> yeah. So I did. I put the plastic bag over my head. Uh-huh. And I inhaled. Oh, gosh. And yes, that stuff does stick to your face. And I can see how a child, especially like a toddler, would be really, really, you know, scared and not sure what to do, maybe long enough to be in some danger. But um, yeah, yeah. my wife makes fun of me because I put a plastic bag over my head. And I'm just like, I just wanted to see what would happen. I know I'd be safe. But she says it was a really dumb move. Yeah. Only the listeners will know for sure. Yeah. Don't try it at home, maybe. Yeah. Um, Okay. The Watcher. (sighs) I mean, why does he care about this? I don't know. Well, okay, so the, the, the yellow ball thing is his. Sure. So he wants it back. But he's like, all I did was let him hear one voice above the others. Only, only the future can tell whether I've done wrong. And now it's forgotten and unwanted. It's time to get... Do you think that maybe he's like whining to himself? Or is he like, all wise? All I did was let him hear one voice. Only the future... Can tell her I've done wrong, and where does he end up in the end of the story? <gasps> future. The future. 
So it's like he had to do this. That was part of the timeline. Something like that. Or create a paradox. Or a, not a paradox. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, oh. I've got not a whole lot else. Me neither. He's standing in front of the White House when he teleports, and mm-hmm. then he's suddenly in front of the Lincoln Memorial two oh. panels later. Oh, so that's what I have. That's the only other thing I have. How is this working? I don't understand. Okay. They're in the desert, right? They just, are, in fact, in the desert. So there's a T-gun just... You could see that far with the scope on the T-gun? Um, Across the United States, basically? Aren't they in Arizona or something? They're at a far north coastal... No, that's a that's a radar tracking station. Where are they? Well, traditionally, their hangout is Arizona, isn't it? Or something like that? Yeah. Nevada? One of those big deserty places? I don't feel like they moved, unless I missed that panel. Yeah, there aren't any actual location descriptors for them. Oh, so it looks like they're where they normally are, which is a long way away from Washington, D.C. But then when the Hulk is on his way to Washington, he encounters the army in north coastal something, like you said, and then Ross is there with binoculars. So it can't be that the T-gun sees that far away. He's obviously close enough to look with binoculars. Okay. So I don't know. I guess they moved, but I don't know why. Who cares, I guess. Um, oh, bottom of page seven. Acting under emergency priority orders, the T-gun is transported to Washington in record time. <laughs> Faster than the Hulk can jump there. Yeah, so he's he's sighted by the North Coastal Radar Tracking Station, uh. and they send out the alert the Hulk is heading for the nation's capital. We don't know why. So they start attacking him for hours while they send the T-gun to try to shoot at him. I see. So it barely covers itself with narration. But you're right. It's not very clear at all. Ugh. Or why but he's the Hulk is going to Washington, except I guess because he heard the words Washington or White House come out of Rick Jones's mouth or something. Yes. And Rick Jones, if he had just stolen Cap's Avengers card again. Mm-hmm. He could have called the president again. I don't know, maybe, because now he's arrested because he knows things about the Hulk, and I feel like Glenn Talbot and Thunderbolt Ross are not about due process for that. Mm. They probably will just ignore anything, any cards that he has at this point, and keep him there forever. I'm surprised they're not torturing him right now. A little waterboarding (laughs) of old Rick. Wow. Hopefully not. Yeah. But yeah, Thunderbolt Ross does seem like he would not be above doing some Nasty interrogation techniques. Well, he's been in this jail cell for three issues. How many? I mean, is there no lawyer? Nothing? Oh, yeah. Don't you usually get one? Or can the military just imprison you forever? I have this vague fiction-inspired media-encouraged impression that the military can just do whatever they want to. Yep. (laughs) I kind of feel like that, too. How would anybody know? Oh, all right. Well, shall we wrap this baby up? Let's do it. So we have homework for next time. Next episode, we'll be covering four more issues. Those are Sergeant Fury 25, Every Man of My Enemy, with Nick Fury up against everybody. Strange Tales 140. Hang on to your hat, toots. It's the end of Hydra. I should not have said toots. I don't even know why that came out of my mouth. (laughs) Hang on to your hat, kids. Apologies, listeners. Um, Tales of uh, that probably has a Doctor Strange story in it, too, but it's not on the cover. It does. Tales of Suspense 73 has Iron Man up against the Black Knight and Captain America up against the Second Sleeper. Mm-hmm. And finally, the Avengers 23, where they're going up against 
Kang. See? The Conqueror. I knew Kang was around somewhere. Somewhere. Just not in the Hulk, I guess. Where can they find us? They can find us. See, I always wait for you to ask, even though I know that's what I'm supposed to say next. So what's the point of that? But they can find us, as if this is all natural, at makearsmarvel.com. Links to our social is there for Twitter and Facebook, as well as a contact form you could use to write us. You could write us at podcast at makearsmarvel.com. Also on the website is all the episodes. You could just play right there if you want. But who listens to podcasts that way? It's probably better to open your favorite app and type Make Ours Marvel and subscribe. And while you're doing that, if there's a star rating on your app, give us some of those too. Um, I want to record a mailbag soon, so hopefully that's already on the feed as you're listening to this and you've heard a mailbag episode recently. Mm. But always send in your emails. Um, We can both be found on Twitter. I am at John Reads Comics. Mike is at Kaiser the Great. My other shows are my Transformers show at TFUK Podcast, my image show at All the Pouches, my Wanda the Scarlet Witch tweet blog at Let's Talk Wanda, and uh, my social security number. It, no, oh, just kidding. Oops. Oops. Got a little carried away there. All right. So, yeah, follow us on the Twitters. That's it. And I guess that's the end of our episode. Mm-hmm. So until the Sentinels try to destroy mutants... By fighting the sun, make ours marvel. marvel.